0: The uh, 1977 um, drusher that the Reb gave—it was in memory of Tanya Soloveitchik. It also was a Mendel Garisman memorial lecture, and uh, the Reb gave it on Yonam Shel Pesach. So what's interesting is he begins. Uh, this was given to a very to a very large audience, mainly uh, Yeshiva College and Stern College students. Turn it down. Okay. And uh, it's very fascinating because in comparison to what the Rav did in Moria in uh, 1972, you see where he takes the same theme, begins with it, but then he goes totally into different areas. And I would say that this talk was more popular. It didn't have as much lumbus as the 72 talk. On the other hand, it touched upon many more points, and each point can be developed ad infinitum. Now, he begins with the Havot Bikurim, that what we see is that the same text is taken both for Vidui Bikurim and for the Haggadah. So of course, here too, he mentioned um, that we see that when Chazal were looking for a text on which to describe the Haggadah, Deidavka didn't choose a text from Sefer Shmot, but instead chose a text from Sefer Devarim from Vidui Bikurim. What's so unique about Vidui Bikurim that within the Vidui Bikurim it's not just the story of the Haggadah but there's the Hakarat Hatov. And when we talk about leil HaSeda it's not enough just to talk about the past. If we we're only going to talk about the past or only describe the miracles of Yitzit Mitzrayim we could talk or choose a text from Sefer Shmot. But here the idea was that in addition to the story of Sipriot Seitz Misrayim, there has to be a HaTov. And this is the text that Hazal felt had both motivim in it, both the motive of Akarat HaTov and the motive of Sipriot Seitz Misrayim. So on that level, um, on that first level, Sipriot Seitz Misrayim and the Haggadah and Vidwi B- Bikurma B- B- are one and the same. And on that level, there's a Chiv of Kriya. In other words, here we have a mechanical act that Vyanituviyamata, there's no concept of elaborating or there's no concept of comprehension, it's only a concept of reading, perception. On the second level, the Rab said, Vidubikurm and Hagadha differ. Hagada is already dashanut. Here, haseda. it's not enough just to read Vanitvara Mata. Vyanitavyamata is wonderful in relation to vidui But Leel HaSeda we have a new Chiyuv and that Chiyuv is to Dashan the Pasha. Once we talk about Dashanut then already we have to get involved the Rav Kod and Brachat what does Dashanut mean what does Toshiba Al-Pem mean and we spoke in terms of Medrash Mishnah and Gemara and the Rav said all three elements are in the Haggadah Medrash of course, all the Medrashim that we read when we dash in the Pasha. Mishnah, So right there you have an open Mishnah. Then we talk about Gemara. What is Gemara? Logical deduction. What does Gemara mean? So you see there, it's logical deduction. That represents Gemara. Okay, so that aspect is only, of course, in the Haggadah. It's not in Vidui Bikurim. Then we went into a third aspect. And that third aspect is that when you talk about Vidui Bikurim, it's totally between the individual and a Kaddish Baruch Hu. You talk about the Haggadah, here there's an additional Chiv. The Chiv to teach, to pass on, to transmit that it's not enough that you should celebrate Pesach. But that you're children. And 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 this is why the part of the Seder that becomes so important, what are we involved with? We're involved with Kenegeda Barbanim Torah. That's why we introduce it, Baruch HaMakam, Baruch Hu, Baruch Shema Yisrael, that the, the, uh, this is a reference to Bichatat Torah. It reminds us of Bichat Torah. Baruch HaMakam, Baruch Hu is paraphrasing Bichat Torah. And this is to remind us that this night it is so important not just to read the Pasha, not just to dash in the Pasha, but to transmit the Pasha. Now, um, w- uh, we got involved last week. I, before, before I go further, I just want to make one addendum to what we spoke about last week. We, when we spoke about last week, about Kotamale Beit Yaakov et Tagid of Ne'Yisrael, that in relation to the Dashanut, That we spoke in terms of Tagid means Haggadah, Tama Torah, Torah Shabal Peh. We cited the Rashi, Bishem HaMachilta, Onshin, the Ditukim, Parish, that you have to give the entire parish to Zacharim. However, to to benot Yisrael, Kol Tamalabai Jakov, the Tagid of Ne Yisrael. So I mentioned in passing. That from that pasuk, the Rav wanted to bring a Raya, of course. That when we talk in terms of the Haggadah, it's that there's a Chiyuv of Torah Shabbat Tagid, Haggadah, Torah Shabbat Rashi, Perish L'scharim. But I mentioned something in passing, that we see from that pasuk that women can certainly stu- study Torah Because we have the tremendous problem of the Rambam. The Pesach of the Rambam that I quoted last week, Parak Yud Gimel, where the Rambam postings like Rebbe L'Yezer, kolam al be told Torah and yet the Rambam differentiates between Torah Shebekhtav and Torah Shebaal Peh. And every order, and say, the tremendous question on the Rambam, how can the Rambam differentiate between Torah Shebekhtav and Torah Shebaal Peh if Rebbe L'Yezer didn't differentiate between the two? So the Bach, the famous Bach, answers, of course, that since the only time there's a thief to read the Torah, that's for everybody is hakel and by hakel it's a noshim, for vahatav so we see that women can be involved with Torah Shebech tav, and therefore certainly it cannot be considered sinful if we teach women Torah, certainly b'diyavad I want to add to it that from this Pasuk the Torah itself Kol Tomala Beit once you see there's a command to teach Beit and the way the Rebbe's is explaining it here that Beit is the Torah Shebech and um, Yisrael is the Torah Shebech so once you see that God himself told Toma le Beit Yisrael so you see clearly that women can be involved with Torah Shebech now when I mentioned that we got involved in the whole discussion of Tomah Torah to women b'sman and many answers are given and I'm not going to go into it now uh, but I want to just Recreate and elaborate ever so slightly on something I said last week, because I said something that, to my mind, is lamita shel Torah. And when a student, uh, David, asked me a question after class, it just sharpened what I was saying. You see, when it comes to teaching women Torah, we have a tremendous problem. On one hand, uh, Rebelezer said what he did. Uh, it was a time, as Rashi explains in Masechet Saita, it was a time when women, of course, learned nothing. They, everyone married young, women married 11, 12, men at 13, 14. By that age, a woman had an eye to take care of her house. There was no time to learn. So, so of course, Rashi says that if you're going to teach a pashet sotash haskut tola amumit. So the woman will become very cunning, she learns she can fake out God. Then that's the pshat. And based upon that Rashi, there are many reasons why we're allowed to teach women Torah bisman the most literal approach, of course, is that a woman is chayevit in Talmud Torah, but her is different than a man. She's chayev to know the mitzvah she has to observe. So what was going on with uh, Reb Eliezer, with sulta was at that time they taught a woman for the sake of argument, Shabbat, Kashrut, Tarat, Mishpacha, uh, Yantif, but no one taught a sulta because sulta is not a halacha, it's not a mitzvah, it's, it's, it's a mitzvah kiyumit, not a mitzvah kiyuvit, you understand? So you never got involved with teaching a sulta, But... According to this approach, which is the approach of the Ramah, the approach of the Alta Rebbe in the Rav Shulchan Aruch, it's the Torah Tavraham I cited to you. So you can develop quite an extensive program for women, because a woman has to know Yirat Hashem and Avat Hashem and Musser and Midot, that's, that's the Torah Avraham. Of course, if you're Hasidic, then a woman has to know as, Hasidut as well. So you can develop quite an extensive program. And that's one approach, certainly that's a Beishakov approach and a little bit beyond. Of course, another approach is the Drishu Prisha, and this, of course, is the Torah Tamimah's approach, that there's a basic difference between a man and a woman. A man you have to force to learn. He has to be tamed by Torah. A woman cannot be forced. A a, a father is forbidden to teach his daughter. But if the father wants, or not the father wants, if the daughter wants, the sky is the limit. And, of course... That approach is very widespread today. I would say uh, Bravindas and Matan and Nishmat and uh, perhaps to a certain degree Midrashit of Moriah and Michlala. It all follows that approach that if the woman wants to learn, we are going to enable her to learn. But I said something much deeper and I just want to sharpen it now. You see, Talmud Torah is the only mitzvah I know where Chazal told you that in different circumstances, different civilizations, different lifestyles, the whole thrust of the mitzvah may or will or has to change. It's the only mitzvah I know. And Chazal, the Gemara and Gittin that I cited, the Fsamach, here the most classic example you have is the whole concept of writing down Torah Shabbat. Originally it was forbidden to write down Torah Shabbat. And a Rebbe and a student had to study together 40 years. You weren't allowed to open your mouth to teach until you studied with the Rebbe 40 years. You had to go over, as I'll talk about in you had to go over the, the tradition, everything you learned 100 times. That already was the minimum. 100 times, everything was balpeh. It was a different framework altogether. However, the years moved on. And we could no longer afford 40 years of learning. Life didn't allow for it. So Chazal turned around and said and now we have to teach, we have to treat Torah Shabbat differently, and they introduced an entire different system of learning, which continues until today. No one studies with the Rebbe 40 years, if you're lucky, you study with the Rebbe 2, 3, 4, 5 years maximum, if you're, if, if you're fortunate, if you're fortunate to have a Rebbe that you can study with those many years, and we write down Torah Shabbat Peh, and no one reviews it a hundred times today. It's an entirely different framework of learning. So I said similarly with women, and I believe this to a certain degree. The Chavetz Chaim, the that opened up the whole floodgate of of the modern education of women. It could very well be in a society where women didn't go to school, women remained at home. Chavetz Chaim's words, uh, everyone paraphrases it. My Rebbe, the the, the, the Rav. Uh, the the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, everyone paraphrased it. But what the Chavetz Chaim essentially was saying, when a woman didn't go to school, she didn't have to learn Torah. But once she's going to high school, and going to gymnasium, and going to college, and going to university, and going to postgraduate school, then of course if you don't teach a woman Torah, she really is learning Tiflit. And in these conditions, the whole framework of Talmud Torah turns around. And that's what I, that's what I was alluding to last week. That's what I was stressing. I didn't say it as clear as I'm saying it now. So David asked me a wonderful question. So you're reforming Judaism. What is this? What's going on? So this is what I want to stress again. There's no other halacha I know like this. Shabbat remains Shabbat, Tashut remains Shabbat, Tashut remains Kashur, Tarot Meshpacha remains Tarot Meshpacha. There's nothing we do in any other area of halacha to say that life changes the halacha. We have to adjust life to to, to live with the halacha. But when it comes to Tamba Torah, you can't ignore the Gemara in, in Gittin. And the Gemara says, Which to me simply means that in a new civilization, in order that Torah should continue, you have to change the configuration of the Torah education. The example of Mishnah and Gemara is a powerful example. And in modern times, you have the example of Tamatora Torah L'Nashim, Tamah And that's the Chafetz and, Chaim. And that's what I told you with, with Rav Koopman. Again, I wasn't there, but I have every reason to believe that, you know, sometimes when you say, aid uh, me, you have to wonder, did anyone elaborate? But knowing Rav Koopman, and knowing this was the early 70s, and knowing Rav Moshe Feinstein, I can just envision what Rav Koopman told me took place. And what took place was very simple. At that moment in time, it was 1974, so uh, Rav, Rav Shach had issued a, a what they called the chayrim against the Michalah. Not exactly a chayrim, but it was in, uh, for all intents and purposes it was a chayrim against the Michalah. And there were part of the politics behind it was very simple that at that time there were a lot of Beis Yaakov girls coming to Michalah. In other words, the Michalah was drawing off Beis Yaakov, Lustig, it was a different era. And these were very bright girls who were very happy to come to Michalah because they couldn't go to the university, and yet they found the Michala to a certain degree. They found, they could give vent to their abilities and their intellect. So uh, this was very bad, girls coming to Michala. So Rav Shach wrote that letter against the Michalah. Rav Koopman was very upset. In the letter he mentions three people. Rav Koopman, myself, and uh, Rabbi uh, Mordechai Broya. Why? Because the uh, catalog had been shown to Rav Shach. And a catalog is dangerous. You see, you no one knows what you're teaching. But when you have it in a catalog, black and white. So Rav Koopman was very upset by that letter. Uh, I as I was new to Israel at the time. was only here five years. But I already knew enough Israeli mentality. I remember Rabbi Schwimmer was upset. So I told Rabbi Schwimmer, remember, Rabgesh, these are giants. Rabbi, again, you don't know these people. Rabgesh and Schwimmer taught for so many years. He's now retired. But Rabgesh Schwimmer is a Jew who, who, who was bucking, who you could ask a Shiloh any place in Shas and he could answer you. He was uh, from Chicago, Rabgesh. Schwimmer was upset. So I remember I said to Rabgesh, that this machlokesh you're never going to settle. You can't take it to heart. If you take it to heart, you understand, if you, th- if someone thinks they have a monopoly on truth, then you have a problem. But thank God, I had a Rebbe that taught me, no one has a monopoly on truth, there are many different approaches, so I wasn't so upset. But Rabbi Koopman, of course, was very upset because he was really caught between two worlds at that time. His children were pulling him to the right-wing world, and he himself came from Chicago, came from a different world. So he went to see Rav Moshe Feinstein. So Rav Moshe said to him, see, Rav Moshe's words are very, very elucidating. Rav Moshe said, If weis will für mich." Was evil for referring to uh, Rav Shach. I don't know what Rav Shach wants out of you. The Chavetz Chaim is The Chavetz Chaim, see, the said openly, times have changed, and 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 if you look into the it's exactly the point of view that I'm expressing here in class. So that now I've clarified David's question. It's not a question of reforming, or God forbid, it. But what I'm saying is. That Talmud Torah is the one mitzvah I know where Chazal gave you leeway to deal with it in a civilization that may be different to deal with it in a different way. And the shot that I'm right is overwhelming because how else can you explain the Gemara in Gittin? And that Gemara in Gittin stares you in the face. Okay, so I stand on what I said. And this is why I have no qualms about teaching a woman whatever she wants. Like anything else, like I said to Ephraim, yes, uh, I I absolutely agree. When you talk about a Ramah, you have to deal with the basics of Yiddishkeit first. This this goes without saying. What good does it do me to teach... uh, It doesn't have to be a woman, to teach a man, to teach a boy, to teach a BMT boy, to teach a Kola boy. I see myself... I gave a shi'a yesterday, which was a pristine, beautiful... Magnificent Sheer, Rabbi Yitzcholchanan Inspector, Trey Rubei. How many people were here? How many people could follow me? I saw, and I make it so clear, I have that ability to teach. But listen, if a guy is mastering the rudiments of Yiddishkeit, Trey Rubei, Rabbi Shulchanan, is very distant from him. I wouldn't go in and teach women, Trey Rubei, Rabbi Shulchanan. But if if, if if the girls ask me, Rebbe, we want a lecture on Rabbi Yitzcholchanan Spector, we heard that he did magnificent things. How does it work? Where is he different than Rabbi Rachman? How can Rabbi Rachman you're spitting fire at, and, and Rabbi Shochanan you you embrace and revere? I would absolutely answer the girls with a lambda You understand? I have no qualms whatsoever. And then I come back to the rub what I said last week, and, in other words, I'm not telling you stories. I'm telling you what happened to me. When I started teaching women, I asked Joey Epstein, Joey, At those days, uh, you didn't call America like today. Today, Baruch Hashem, it's a different world. I've made so many calls to America, and I still haven't gotten a billion. I haven't hit 50 shekel. Barak bills you when you hit fifty shekel, they take it off your visa. I can't believe, I've, I called November, December. I'm waiting for my next bill. I still haven't hit fifty shekel. But those days, a call to America was uh, was not within the realm of a salary of a, of, of, a, of a rebbe, of a teacher of Torah in Israel. But I wrote to Joey. Joey asked the Rav. I'm starting to teach women and explained to Rebbe that we teach them Mishnah and we refer to Gemaras. So Joey asked the Rav. Joey then was very close to the Rav. And Joey wrote back to me, the Reb answered him to tell me to teach women exactly the way I teach men. The only difference being, shitat brisk. He said, women don't have that background, so he knew who he was talking to. You shouldn't uh, drive them crazy with hefza and gavra, shnei dinim, din di alma, din etc., din di alma, din aveilud, everything that's involved in shitat brisk. But I want to tell you something. I have a feeling today that there are many women who today you can talk shit at brisk and analyze and the women will stare you right back and understand you as well as any men. So this is where we stand. The women's lib issue of course flows from this. And here I'll only say the following. What we lack in education today and what frightens me so much is that the first, racious the first concept we have to be taught is that we surrender to Allah. That we have every right to seek, to claim, to be intellectuals, but we surrender to the halachic framework. And this is where I differ with the feminists. I have a lot of nachat, for instance, uh, when I watch uh, Esther Lichtenstein Rosenberg. Esther um, had Uh She's totally committed. There's no problem. Learning is learning. And it doesn't change the halachic. There's a total surrender. She got up at the conference uh, that Y.U. lent its name, its imprint, the Lavi Conference, and she read them the riot act, you understand? And coming from her, if anyone was intellectually honest, they have to pause. I look at my daughter and the path that she paved... The, the, the Dayanim thanked me. There's nothing to thank me but Baruch Hashem. My daughter paved the proper path. The Dayanim was so worried women are coming in that can, one, one of, one of the Toenet, who's a good friend of Tainer and her own sibling, studied with me. So she just submitted to me a sveik a svaker with a mamza, how to develop a case. You know, my daughter told her that my father, referring to yours, truly is a bit of an expert in that topic, which I humbly have to admit that in this day and age, I probably am an expert. It's a topic that not many people know. Hetamamzeirim. How to do it. So, this, so what was funny was she submitted to me, I showed my daughter, I said... Uh, this alone, Reb Moshe would would be mate. You have such a suffak here. That's all you need. You have a big suffak here with the ring. The mother of the of 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 the the mother, the, uh, the 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 mother of the bride, rather, gave the chadchan the ring. It was an unbelievable story. And the rabbi was Masonic Condition we had. It, you have it on video. You understand. You can't lie. You have it on video. I say Reb Moshe would be matier and that alone. But here you have a Beitan, and and I'm telling you something that I hope you understand me well. The problem here is a different problem. Generally speaking, the Dayanim on the lower level are not much more than you are. They're they're fine Lamdanim. They don't have the experience of Pshak, and they don't have the self-confidence. So what happens is, I was once in the Beitan with the Aguna, where I was Matrim and Aguna. They're afraid to be Matrim, so it gets thrown around till it reaches the highest echelons. The highest echelons already are Gedol Yisrael. And when they see that they can be Matir, they'll be Matir. But I told my daughter in America, that alone would have been enough for Av. Moshe to be Matir. You don't have to go any further. Av. Moshe is Matir. That's it. Here you have Bateh Dinim. You have to go through the Bateh Dinim. But the upshot is, the funny part is, when this Torah presented the case, the Dayanim looked at her and they said, Mi he she said, I did. They couldn't believe that this woman is yes, This is London. This, they were shocked. They were flabbergasted. But if a woman applies herself to Talmud Torah, she can become a Goynat. Look at Nechama Leibovich. And that's the Tosefta in Kalim. See, the Tosefta in Kalim, Bab Metziah Kalim, those of you familiar with the Tosefta, there are three, they're three levels. There are three different Tosefta Kalems so I'm talking Bab It's an emeraldic Tosefta. But I'll tell you, one of my great moments in teaching, you know, over the years, I've had some moments that remained embedded in my mind. This moment was in 1977. And it was right in Michalah. And I had a very bright girl in the class. At those years, Michalah had everybody. In other words, the, there was no Kshaila, a bright girl. Where do you go? You go to Michalah. And we had girls, Space Yaakov girls, Prospect Park girls, Tag girls, Flat Essential girls, uh, uh, whatever school you'll name, Flat Bishk all the way to Ramaz. All the way to Ramaz. They had a girl from Flatbush. And she was sitting right where where Josh is sitting. And she was and she was wearing a red blouse. That's how well I remember the incident 21, 22 years ago. Wearing a red blouse. Very bright girl. And this girl was sitting there abortioning. And she finally... And, and you got to remember, it's not like here. Teaching men is a rough situation. Women are a pleasure to teach, they're appreciative, they're thankful, they're filled with their akheretz. They love the Rebbe in a word and give cover to the Rebbe in a proper way. But anyway, leave that for another time. So um, so she's sitting there, and finally she can't control herself. And she says, Rebbe, pardon me, what good is it if we learn no man will listen to us? So I said, Sarah, you are lacking a Tosafter and Kalim, where the hachamech had a tremendous argument and then they quote Bruria's opinion, and they pass it like Bruria. Yafa umre Bruria. Ah, her face lit up. Anyway, the end of the story is that girl has a Ph.D. I believe from from Bernard Revel. She has a master's from Bernard Revel and NYU a Ph.D. She teaches Talmud here. She's Baruch Hashem married, mother of many children, covers every strand of hair. Thank God I have nachat out of that young lady today. Okay, now I, I want to go one step further. So that's to answer your question, and I've answered it properly. And I was zeichet l'labenet and mamish. I I do not believe I can be refuted, because the gemara in Skitten stares me in the eyes. You no, know, an open gemara is an open gemara. That's one thing I've learned in life. You can be a big mafalpel, but if there's an open gemara, you gotta tie yourself. That gemara is a peg, and that's the way I understand. the gemara, That's the way I understand the Rambam. That's the way I understand the Chafetz Chaim. And to me, that's an overwhelming point of view. Beyond the Ramah, because the Ramah is dealing with the Chiyav is. I don't deny, I'm not an Amaretz. There's no question that your Chiyav and a woman's Chiyav are two different Chiyav in Talmud Torah. But beyond that, if she wants, why is it any different than Shofa Lulav Bizman Hazer when the floodgate of knowledge is open. You understand that? That's Rav Blessed, that's Rashi. I have no problem with it. No problem whatsoever. I gave a shi yesterday in Shalosh Sanegisha. I was so convincing that I I, I, I walked out the laughing. You understand? Because that's a rough thing, Sana Yisha, the attack and what's going on, and say the bracha quietly. And Republicans are going crazy. And and I it, it, believe me, if they would hear the shi I gave yesterday, I think Torah would win out, not not the feminism. Okay, I hope so. Now, um, yeah. Then we went on to something else that when we talk about passing on the tradition, transmitting the tradition, and everything is involved with the children, the most important here is to teach children to ask. This is why this is why we uh, we 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 have the format of a dialogue. We could have begun we could have begun the, the Haggadah of Adim Lafara. Why do we need Manishhtana? Why do we need the questions? And the Rev said so beautifully that we want the children to, to question. And this is the Rambana. I ended off the class with the Rambana. Beautiful, beautiful Ramban. The rub ones analyzed this Rambana, the Yachekala. But the words of the Rambana are amazing. The Rambam Yadet, I cite the Ramban again, Pasuk K. where the Rambam says on the Paseke, two merits, that when the, when, when the Rambam says on the Paseke, L'shichno no Tidrishena, Wabata Shama, l'shichno no and the Rambam says something amazing. And the Rambam learns that there's a special chiyav, a special kiyum, that you have to ask, which is the way to Yerushalayim? I mean, this is unbelievable. It means that we shouldn't make the road too easy, too straight to get to Jerusalem. Labriyot. That if you get there too easily, it's not appreciated. And you have to ask, how do we get there? And a Jew has to ask another Jew, and you have to talk about the Meikam Migdash. And the Reb used the word, we have to search and seek for God. And, and Moshe Rabbeinu, the Reb said, used the exact Russian in this week's Pasha. To seek God. And only when you seek God, that's when you can reach God and this true. This is true the Rev on this level and I have it in my book I give you the exact source where the Rev says, said it openly the Rev on this level was very inanimate of Lubavitch because what he admired in Lubavitch was the outreach you see outreach in America was unheard of until Lubavitch began in order to outreach you have to have self-confidence the 40s, the 50s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, who could outreach? Who had self-confidence? Torah was under constant attack. Shuls with mechitzat were few and far between. The conservative movement built itself on the premise, elect a conservative rabbi will come in and will take the mechitzat down. Men and women can sit together. And, and this was popularism. And they conquered synagogue after synagogue. You gotta remember the pressure, the, the enticement, nomachitza, men and women together, who had time for outreach. And Lubavitch introduced a new concept, basically the 1960s. Of course, afterwards comes NCSY, there were Torah totally the Leader Seminars, YU was once involved, see, YU was involved in a lot of good things. Unfortunately, over the years, they withdrew and let others take over I don't know maybe it's good maybe it's bad it could be that YU simply doesn't have the resources to do everything at once I don't know maybe you need individual organizations but you look at the NCSY I stand in awe of the NCSY my best students that I've had in the kollel and in Midrashit Maria over the years, NCSY girls. I had a girl yesterday. She tells me she went to secular high school. The minute I see at secular high school, I say to her, NCSY, the girl says, yes, I know the girl is top quality. And and this is what the Rav felt. I, I have the Rav on tape saying that once a Jew starts to ask questions, you never know how far he will go. Our problem is that the Jews don't ask questions and this is why the Rebbe was said the Haggadah was so mocked but teacher kept the question now I'm going to show you the Rebbe, the is going to prove his point but see this is overwhelming this conflicts with, with, with a certain mentality I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a story in the Beishak of World that I told last year in public and, and this story you see two worlds in conflict here when I started working the encyclopedia in 1969, I came and I, I, I submitted my curriculum Vida, Hanukkah, in 1968. And on Purim of 1969, I signed the contract with the Encyclopedia Judaica. The story of the Judaica is a very fascinating story. In Germany, they were publishing an encyclopedia, Judaica, in German. Germany, by as we go into the 1930s, was one of the cultural centers of the Jewish world. Second only to America, maybe even greater than America. At that time, Europe was going down, America was going up, Germany was Germany with all the great minds there. When Hitler came to power, about nine volumes of the Judaica had been published, and that was the end. When reparations came on the scene one of the concepts that they demanded reparations money for was to continue the publication of the Judaica only this time it would be in English because following the Holocaust the majority of the world read English not Hebrew, not German, this was the language that united Jews throughout the world so they got a lot of money from the German government x millions of dollars to continue the Judaica and we had the rights to the old Judaica, in other words we could use their scholarship, their articles and add to it, bring it up to date, everything in English. This function as a government project. When something is a government project, all of you know, a government has a vast bureaucracy, nothing gets done. So the government sold it off to private hands, private investors, 68. Once the private investors took over, that was kept the publishing. That's how they were formed, that's how they began, and money was put in. X millions of dollars, they wanted results, they looked for people, bring this to fruition, and that's how I had the job with the Judaica, because at that time, in 68 already, I had a contract with JPS on Bernard Revel, so that they were looking for someone who was knowledgeable, who knew how to write, etc., and it was a blessed relationship for two years until the Judaica appeared, and then, although they offered me a very big job with the publishing house, I said I had to go back to teaching full-time. Now, in the Judaica... I'm working for the first time in my life in a secular office. Religious, irreligious, all types. So there was a girl in there, I still remember her name, Ruthie Berger. And we worked in English, everyone worked in English. Ruthie Berger was from Switzerland, family came in Aliyah to Bnei Brak, she graduated based of high school in Bnei Brak, and Ruthie Berger was not religious. She later married the son of a I don't know where she is today. She must be a grandmother by now, etc. Uh Chave Knesset of Mapai, the old Mapai party. So I once said to Ruthie Berger, I said, Ruthie, it's none of my business. This is a secular environment. But I'm curious. How is it that you who went to Beis Yaakov, that you're not from? I'll never forget her answer. She said, Dr. Rothkoff, I will tell you the truth. I went to Bais I was a very bright girl, and in about 11th grade, I asked the teacher a question on Rashi. And the teacher said to me, Ruthie, kishedeida kolha torakula, oz ad oz sitmiatape. And now you know what that means, sitmiatape. Shut your mouth. Ruthie said at that minute, her Yiddishkeit went out the door, she counted the days till she could graduate, move out of the house, and be free of the burden of, a, of a, a, a Torah and a religion that demands blind obedience. I never forgot her answer. That's in a total contrast with the Rav, total contrast where I was raised, total contrast to Brisk, Reb Chayim, all the stories. And this is the Rav now. And this is why he put such stress. I mean, you have to hear tapes exist of the Yachai Kala in Boston. It was on, 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 on the Ramban, the Sefer, the Varim. The Rav spent a whole shia on those words of the Ramban, "Shetechumeh es mehakivtishalu on a derech peit ha'shem." And he tied it right in right here with the fear cautions, What do you need it for, but more than that, more than that. He he said, "What's the Gemara in sakhen? Kuf yadal And the Gemara tells the following story. Um what do we need to dip twice what's the whole reason all of you know the, 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 the haroset the moro what's going on here what's going on here with, 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 with the, with the Eric we take at the start of the seder with uh, parsley or, or celery whatever we take some people take potato the various men it doesn't matter what, what are you dipping for what's going on what's the tibur what's being accomplished and the Gemara says openly that the children, the children will ask, the children will ask. And this concept of arousing their curiosity is so important that the Gemara says in Psachim, Kuftara Madalif, Machautim Lehem Kloyot Ve'agosim Be'erif Pesach, we make the whole day different we don't want them to go to sleep we want to keep them awake we give them goodies we give them candy by the way from here you see that the Svadim are right that the real treat are sunflower seeds nuts all these types of salty nuts that we Ashkenazim don't even eat for us what's a treat? chocolate, candy what's a treat for Svadim? Friday night what do they buy? Uh, various nuts. Here we see the Gemara is right. What do we give them? We give them nuts, so they should stay awake and ask. <laughs> that they shouldn't go to sleep. It's amazing. They get them excited. We're talking about what goes on with the yachats and the, the hiding in the afikoman. What are we doing here? We go crazy. Layl Haseida, there's so much we do that has no tremendous alakhic significance. It's all oh, what are we doing here? And and keep the kids interested. Tanyam Ramalav Rabbiakiva, Miyuamaki Gir Aitla Moldoveta Medresh, Kuts Meyarve Psachim, the Era yom Kipurim. The Era Pesach, bishvil Narat, Kadeshalo Yushnu. The Erav Yom Kipurim, Kideshakilu et Benehem. And here's Rabbi Akiva, the great Rabbi Akiva. He never left the Beit Medish early. You understand? Friday afternoon, in, in in Griskola, I can tell you, I popped into the Beit Midrash last Friday. There wasn't one Kolil person learning in the Beit Midrash. Habar Reik. I hope there were no Nachashim. Not one person learning. But all right, here you're talking... Rabbi Akiva, he learned all day. He never got up a minute before Shabbat. Here, Erev Pesach, he broke early. Erev Yom Kippur, why did he break early Erev Pesach? To get started early. What's so important is to start the Seder early, start a little later. No, the kids have to ask. They become the focal focal point of the Seder. And the Reb said they become part of the Masorah community, they become part of that ancient ongoing search for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We want the child to become a God seeker. God only reveals Himself to those who seek Him. So this is a fourth aspect unique to the Haggadah, not only to transmit, but to transmit to a God seeker, a God searcher, the importance of questions, Leil Haseda, everything we do, make that kid Curious. Okay, now we come to a fifth point. Very important point. You know what else is interesting? Leil Haseda, the whole concept of the whole observance around a meal. You begin with Kiddush, and Kiddush in general is always part of Sipu Yitzir Mitzrayim. What do we say in Kiddush? Zeichah Yitzir Mitzrayim. Even Friday night. Zeichah Yitzir Mitzrayim. You all know the Ramban. What does that have to do? But alright. Kiddush in general is constantly Zeichah Yitzir Mitzrayim. Birch HaTamazon. What do we say in Birch HaTamazon? No delacha Hashem lokeinu. And all the things we thank Him. V'yalshet sateinu Hashem lokeinu. Remember to and you see that in general, Kiddush and Birchat are Azeichel Yitzieth Mitzrayim. But, Leel HaSeda, the whole experience is caught up with the meal, caught up with the food. It's a whole different Kiddush, a whole different Birchat HaMazan. Everything is caught up with the sipur Yitzieth Mitzrayim. Now, the Reb says something very important here. This you'll find Rob Zevin in Ma'odim Khan has an entire uh, arichut on this simple question with many fascinating sources. Are you familiar with the Sefer Ma'odim Bahalachah? I can tell you when that Sefer came out, it made such a storm that it, we, we, I, we, we jumped for joy. It was overwhelming. The Reb wasn't overwhelmed by it. We asked the Rub what his opinion is. So he said it. Would, he took all the uh, idiosyncratic halachat and put it into a sefer. But I don't think that's a totally fair evaluation. What the ma'odim does, it takes the lumdus, It goes into the lumdus of the chag. It's not the simple matters he deals with, but the lumdus. But I want to ask you a simple question. All of you know that when we changed the clock, I think it's in a month's time, we changed the clock. The summer we've never had a winter this year, so it's an amazing. It's an amazing winter except for the fact that we're going to suffer water wise but the government now I understand they've uh, uh, asked the commission to look into uh, uh, the desalinating process of the seawater if we could only figure out a way that would be uh, cost productive to take the Mediterranean ocean and turn it into drinking water we would solve our problems and they're working on it there was a Jew Avram Zachin you remember that name there was a a, a wonderful Talmud by the name of Avraham Zachin ...who developed and has a patent on a process... ...and the only problem was... ...that at that time, this is the 1950s... ...this was a firm Jew, a tremendous Mentorah, ...they found that it was not cost-effective... ...could be today with modern equipment... ...Avram Zachen's method will be cost-effective... ...how do you know the name you uh, of uh, ...Avram Zachen, yeah... ...I remember it, but uh, it was a famous story... ...everyone thought he had brought the Geula here... ...but it wasn't cost-effective... ...but anyway... They're going to change the clock. Going to change the clock. So you all know, uh, that I have an early minion at the kota with the plaque. What does it mean with the plaque? I don't have to go into details. You all understand. See, in America, what you do with the early minionim is not totally halachically viable. You have a minion, for the sake of argument, let's say there's a minion seven o'clock every Friday night. The problem is when do you daven mincha? You're davening mincha and mariv both after the plaque. Alright, with the evidence you say. Lachat it's certainly halachically a thousand times better to daven mincha before the plug and, and mariv after the plug. You understand what I'm saying? To be you can't dab mariv before the plug no matter what. You're not say. But at least if you daven mincha before the plug, you solve many halachic problems. So we have a minion with the plug, meaning you dab mincha before the plug. And you say Lachun and Ranana with the plague and marv after the plague. Fine. So uh, I want to ask a simple question. I get home, it's still broad daylight. Are you allowed to make Kiddush? And the answer is absolutely. You're allowed to make Kiddush. It's it's HaTayom. You're a Makabah It's, uh, it's, it's uh, ready Shabbat for you. You're allowed to make Kiddush. And this is Ziyu Kribe Rafu, No one in the world will disagree. The ra, the truth is, the rabbi I don't think was ever Makabah Shabbos early. And someone explained to me, the Rab Shita, that he felt it's a Zilzil and Shabbos because why are you be in Kambal Shabbos? I mean, people ask the Rab, this is what I heard about Pah. I, I didn't hear this from the Rab directly because after all, it's a Gemara and there's a din in, in Tosefet Shabbat. So why, why can't you be in Kambal Shabbos early? So the Rab said, if you would do it all year, that's fine. But if you only do it during the summer, you're doing it for your convenience. And that is a and in Kedushat Shabbat. That's what I understand he said. Alright. I don't know whether he's right or wrong. I can only say that i makabu Shabbos early because I eat with my grandchildren and I have found them with my children and I found over the years that if you begin eating 9 o'clock at night it's impossible to have a proper Suda Leel Shabbat with Divrei Torah with smirat, 9 o'clock at night a kid can barely keep awake. So if you were Kabul Shabbos early and you can start eating 7 o'clock, it's a tremendous difference between 7 to 9. But now you come to the Seder. They changed the clock in Israel. To me, this is Amratzad. I once attacked Ari Derry in public speaking right over here. There were about 500 people present. The place was mobbed. And some people were happy. Some people were sad. Some people told me, off. I said very simply that Derry was the saha Pnindem. He's supposed to be a Talmud Chacham. How do you change the clock before Pesach? It means the Seder is one hour later. And I quoted what I just quoted now. The whole purpose of the Seder is for the children. If the purpose of the Seder is for the children, how do you make the Seder one hour later? They can barely keep awake. You want to change the clock? Change it after the Seder, not before. And that's absolutely so. Ah, so what are you worried about? Let them change the clock. And you'll begin to say, after the plug you'll be Makabel Jantif and davin Marev and say Borchu and, and you'll say Kedushatayom hayom, and, and everything is fine and good. You'll be talking on yourself, Tosefet Jack is in Toronto. His daughter gave birth. He has a big he has a granddaughter now, a grandson here, and a granddaughter there. So Leil has said be Machabel one hour earlier, an hour and a half earlier. Figure out the plug, daven with the plug. Get me the So this is the famous question that the Achronim deal with. Tosfos deals with it. The Achronim deal with it. There's an entire literature on this question. You can see it all summarized in uh, in in Modim By the way, I have to question you. Don't use the English translation, I don't know how reliable it is. That's one of the famous cases of Art Scroll, where they revised Rab Zeven in relation to Yomatzmut, and certain things he said, Mamish revised, and they were asked, and they were challenged. They're not like I challenged them on Bernard Revel with, with, with the book on Rab Shemshaphul here they ignored me, didn't answer me. Here they were challenged on all sides, because black and white, so they answered Rabbi Zevin changed his mind I mean that's so ludicrous I knew Rabbi Zevin in his old age I knew the man 1000% my neighbor was his right hand Rabbi Yoshua Chutna I would meet Rabbi Zevin through Rabbi Chutna Rabbi Zevin changed his mind It's Rabbi Zevin was an old Chabadnik in the wall of heart, a giant of Torah a great Mizrahiite in the classic sense why he changed his mind Ah. But anyway, so once you play games with the text, who knows what they did with other things. But what the Rev says here is very beautiful. He says, this is why Leil Haseder you cannot say Kiddush before nightfall. Because Kiddush of Leil Haseder is different than any other Kiddush. Every other Kiddush, the thrust of the Kiddush is Kiddush HaYom. Kedushat you have already. You said that at Kedushta, You mariv. You're You are already Makabu, Kedushat You can't do Malacha. The kedusha is here. The thrust of the kiddush is Kedushat Tayom. If there's Kedushat tayyom, you can say kiddush. Leil HaSeda, The thrust of the kiddush is a dual performance: Kedushat Tayom plus super Yitziut Pinsraim. And therefore, if Leil HaSeder is caught up in Sipu Yetziet Mitzrayim and the Kiddush begins to Sipur, Mitzrayim, you, just like you can't eat Matzah and before nightfall, you can't make Kiddush before nightfall. And that's the difference. Okay, and the Rav said this in passing, uh, this goes back to Tosvat, Sugis and Psachim, but it's Zil Kri Rafu, and that's the big difference, and Ein Hachinami. this is why with Lel HaSei, do we have a problem, and this is why Aaron Rakefet was perhaps correct in maledicting Ari Deri when he had the power. Once you do it one year, now already it's Zil Kri Rafu, the only time they mitchashay for the halacha, and there there's no halacha, they just mitchashay for convenience, is they change the clock before Yom Kippur and I have to tell you the truth of the matter is I'd be very happy if they changed the clock after Sukkot because what they do is they bring the winter in too early but before Yom Kippur it's psychological you understand what I'm saying a fast is always 25 hours what have you accomplished by changing the clock the fast is nothing shorter but psychologically it's true that if the fast ends at 6 o'clock instead of 7 o'clock Psychologically, we feel that the fast is short. You understand what I'm saying? Ah, you began to fast an hour early, but everyone knows you eat so much on Arab Yom Kippur, it's a mitzvah to eat, you eat for, for the mitzvah, you eat for logical reasons, so you'll be able to fast. So what's the difference if you begin the fast at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock? But psychologically, ah, people come to Israel just for Yom Kippur, what a difference. In America, the fast is over after 8, And in Israel this year, it was over actually a few minutes before 6 o'clock. Oh, what a difference. Ah, you're fasting 25 hours in Israel and 25 hours in America. But it is, I have to admit, it is a big psychological difference. I know that I've been in America on Tisha B'Av a few years. A few times it felt that I had to be there for Tisha B'Av. And the fast was absolute torture. Who can ever remember, I'm living in Israel 30 years, finishing a fast 9-10 9.15 9.15 at night, you understand? But psychologically, it's terrible. In reality, you're still fasting only 25 hours. But that the mitchah But with leil Hasey, the Dachman Zayna London. And as Rav Shach said about Ari Deri, you should sit and learn another 10 years and it'll be a fine Talmud Chacham. Okay, and that issue, Aaron Rakefet and Rav Shach are in total agreement. Baruch Hashem. And the other issue with Michalah, I felt his whip on my back, but Baruch Hashem, I could handle it. Now, so you see, what's happening here? Sipo Yetzias Mitzrayim. How is it mitkayemet? How is it fulfilled? Not just the spoken word. Eating, drinking. You don't only use koachadipo, but you don't only use the spiritual greatness of man. All of you know what the Rishonim say, one of the great distinctions of man, koachadipo's ability to speak. But you use his physical abilities at all as well. And Raman Gamliel already said this. This was the whole concept of Raman Gamliel. Psachin Perik Yud. Mishnechei. Yomek. Ko Shlomashlotron Levipesach. Levitza Yedeichovato. Vieluhein. Pesach. Matzah. Mora. It's not just talking about it. It's speaking about it blended into eating. Speech. And actions, intellect, spirituality, and physical, mundane fulfillment blends into one. This is a uniquely Jewish idea. All year, all year, when you have a Sudat Shabbat, what is Kiddush? Kiddush ushers in the Sudat Shabbat. It turns the Suda into a unique Sudat Shabbat and not just crumbs of a weekday. However, Leil HaSeda is much different, much deeper. The entire story is planned. Khatila It has to be Kiddush, part of the Sipur Yetzirah Mitzrayim. The Suda taking biological needs, physical functions, and using them, is a basic concept in Yahadut. Yahadut developed the idea of eating a physical act. Lishem Shemayim. It's paradoxical. At first glance, it's paradoxical. For the Greeks, eating was an animal function. Not Yahadut. Yahaduk took the viewpoint just as you sanctify your speech sanctify your intellect you sanctify the temporal you sanctify the physical first we have to teach the body how to live and then only afterwards can we start dealing with the soul and that's why we begin Le'el "The with the body with the kiddush with the drinking it is a Hint, a remez, a forewarning that the entire night will be one tremendous blend, one tremendous synthesis. The body and soul, the spirit and the corporeal, praising God together, accepting the Deva Hashem together. Now, then the Rav told the story beautiful point I don't have to tell you you can elaborate on this point this is so important when you deal with Kirib when you deal with NCSY when you deal when you make a Seder when you deal with people who are uninitiated this is the beauty of Judaism we're very different than other religions to reform conservative Jews to non-observant Jews to secular Jews in Israel they have no concept of what Torah is all about their concepts come from the western world the western world Spirituality is on one level and observance is a different concept altogether. To the Western world the Reformed Jews are batting, knocking down the door to pray at the cultured. What do they have the call them? They, they they abolish sacrifice, they abolish Makamhdash. But you see they don't realize that praying, the kotel, for person has to observe kasrat, mishpachah, is a beautiful blend in Yiddishkeit which is lacking in any other religion in the Western world. In other religions, in the Western world, religion is spirituality. You go once a week, go to the priest, what? a Catholic has seven sacraments, that's his whole spiritual life. And many of those sacraments, can only be done once. You know what I'm saying? Uh, of b- baptism is only once. Confirmation is only once. Extreme. You only die once. You get married once. I, I, I think you wind up with maybe only three: confession and the miracle. I don't want to go into great detail now. Catholic theology, but there's almost almost nothing they do week in and week out. And we Jews, we have a different concept altogether. Our whole life, our whole, our whole way of life, eating and drinking and sex and everything we do, working, everything is sanctified. And this is the concept of the Leil Haseda. It's the, the beautiful, beautiful concept. Now the rough told the following story. And I have to tell you, I have a real problem with this story. I share it with you and I record it now because when my book comes out, the story is going to be in there from this year. And, I, and I, I shared, the ref told the following story. He said, I want I, I I to illustrate the point. He told the following story. It had to be during the 1930s, perhaps. or the, No, it had to be the 1920s. 1920s, because the person involved died, if I'm not mistaken, 1920. Yet I have it in my book, the exact date. This Jew was a very wealthy Jew. His name was Jacob Schiff. I assume you've all heard of the name. Jacob Schiff, one of the leading German multi-millionaires came to America a teenager conquered America investment banker Schiff the the Warburgs the Morgenthals, it's all part of that era. Jacob Schiff later becomes president of Temple Emanuel. Jacob Schiff is the individual who brought Solomon Schechter to America provided the funds for the seminary to expand because of him, there's conservative Judaism on the map. The seminary was about to close down. It had existed as an orthodox institution from 1887, from the day it was founded, to 1902, 1901. There was no need for its graduates. The East Europeans left at rabbis who spoke English and learned 17 daf Gemara a year, when most East European balabatim could learn 170 daf a year. And Jacob Schiff was the one brought over Solomon Schechter. We have to give it a decent faculty. And of course, Solomon Schechter is the father of conservative Judaism in, in the world. Jacob Shechter, uh, Jacob Schiff had a lot of money. So this is what the Rav told. They were trying to get him interested in yeshiva. They brought him into yeshiva, took him on a tour of yeshiva. And he came into a classroom. There was an old man, Rabbi Benjamin Aronovitz. And the Rebbe said to the audience of 77, when I mentioned the name to you, Rabbin Yamin Aronovitz, I might as well mention the name of a man on the moon. Okay? Aryeh Mendel never heard of Rabbin Yamin Aronovitz. Am I right or wrong? Rabbi Yamin Aronovitz was like Rabbi Yosef Weiss. He was the revered Rebbe for Yoredeya. He was one of those that signed the smicha. He was a telza, if I'm not mistaken. So the Rav said to the audience, some of you old-timers may still remember Rabbi Yaman Aronavitch. You could say that in 1977. Certainly in 1999, no one knows Rabbi Yaman name except a pedantic historian like Aaron Rakefet." So according to the Rav, he says, Jacob Schiff asked, who is that old man? What is he doing? And he was surrounded by students. And uh, the person who was taking Mr... Schiff around said to Mr. Schiff, Mr. Schiff, that is Rabbi Novitz, and he is teaching the students Yorodeya. And Mr. Schiff asked, according to the Rav, and what is Yorodeya about? Oh, he's teaching them how to slaughter cows and uh, the laws of, of uh, trifot, what you have to look for inside the cow. And Schiff got very angry and said, I am not interested in institution that deals with such matters like the slaughter of cows and what's inside their stomachs. This is not for me. I'm interested in spirituality. And he walked out and refused to support the yeshiva. And the rav told the story. It's a beautiful story. And the rav said, uh, and Mr. Schiff, Jacob Schiff, had one tremendous mistake. He didn't understand that in Yahadut, the spirit and the physical blend into one. He didn't understand that yadut can only begin when you teach the body how to behave. Then we can talk to the soul. Yadut can only begin when we make kiddush. Then we can have a sipu yitziats And that's the story that Rav told, illustrating this point, bringing in Jacob Schiff, Rabbi Ben Aranovitz, a beautiful little anecdote about yeshiva's history. Do you like the story? It's a beautiful story. I have only one problem. I don't think this could ever have been Jacob Schiff. The problem here is you have to know Jacob Schiff. Jacob Schiff was a very complex religious personality. He grew up, anyone can tell me, who knows about Jacob Schiff. He grew up in Frankfurt. He was a disciple of Rav Shumshin Rav Hirsch. Grew up in his Beit Medrash. Revered Rav Hirsch came to America. There was no Yeshiva University then. There was no uh, Rabbi Soloveitchik then in America. Got caught up in America. He became president of Temple Emmanuel. No, no one knows what I'm about to say. Suddenly, on Norfolk Street, the basement of Shagadal, the East Side, they see a big carriage pull up with a driver multi millionaire like a like to describe today a, a a stretched limo with a driver pulls up and mister Schiff jumps out with his Talisman film they say Mr. Schiff what are you doing here? He says I have sight for my mother today. He says, but you're the president of Temple Emmanuel He says, What are you crazy? I should hold Yodsight for my mother in Temple Emmanuel? And Mr Jacob Schiff was Machbar and Kashrat, benched, never rode on Shabbos, never rode or wrote on Shabbos, fasted on Yom Kippur. He was schizophrenic. He had to be president of Temple Emmanuel, He was Mr. Jacob Schiff, a multi-multi-millionaire, revered by all the German magnates and moguls in America. On the other hand, his own personal life, he was yet from Rav Shintra Fall, Here. This is how he comes to the seminary. His words were, and I quote, we need an enlightened orthodoxy in America. Quote, end quote, enlightened orthodoxy. He never dreamt what Solomon Schechter would do later. All right, maybe he would have been in favor, I don't know. But to tell an anecdote that Mr. Jacob Schiff was opposed to Kashrut doesn't make sense. Anyway, I had a lot of qualms. I let the story stand with a footnote referring you to sources about Mr. Jacob Schiff's life. The reader who's learned will understand from the footnotes that I have my qualms. Uh, did the Rev know? Mr. Jacob Schiff, know? In other words, the Rev told the story he arrived in America after Jacob Schiff was dead. He told the story in an anecdote. It's not the end of the world here. It doesn't have to be totally uh, factual. What's important here is, is that this is what people believed. And it certainly lent credence to the rubs point, but it's fascinating. Jacob Schiff doesn't make sense. Maybe it was somebody else. The story is beautiful. The person that he told it about, I have my qualms. I want you to know when I was working on my book, I reheard the tape. I listened again and again and again just to be certain that when I heard it the first time and I wrote in my notes, Mr. Jacob Schiff, I wasn't mistaken. And I write up the story word by word the way the rough told it, even with the old man and who is he, what is he doing? And some of you still remember him, because I also give reference to Rabbi Yamana and where there's some biographical material. I always feel if we don't remember those that came before us, they're not going to remember us as well. That's the nature of life. If we show respect to the earlier generation, we will be remembered as well. Okay. Let me go further. We have we have another aspect. So so this aspect, the Suda It's basic Yiddishkeit, basic to our understanding, basic to where we differ with the Greeks. And the story with Mr. Jacob Schiff, whether it's anecdotal or true, it's a different person whose name has to be substituted. The Rav simply made a mistake in the name. The story drives the point home very powerfully. The Rav always used to say that, I'm quoting the Rav now, the Rav used to say that to the uninformed mind about Judaism... He could, an uninformed mind is startled. How can it be that Torah is concerned with how a man has relations with his wife? How can it be? How can there be so many laws? I mean, after all, the uninformed mind would understand Torah is concerned you shouldn't commit adultery. All right, you shouldn't commit adultery. But a man is married? And the Rev said to the person who understands Yiddishkeit, it would be absurd if the Torah did not tell us how to have relations with our wives. So, and that's exactly what Yiddishkeit is all about. The physical and the spiritual blending to one. And there's another aspect of the Haggadah. It's something I said at the start of last week's Shia. Haggadah, remember what I said? There has to be not just the story you're telling, but shevach. We have to give praise to our Kaddish Baruch Hu. Gave us the land, the beautiful land. Today is two bishvat. So many perot here and, and vegetables, a land that is so rich, a soil that is so good. The truth is, nothing equals the produce of Eretz Israel. If you've been in America lately trying to eat a tomato, even in Florida, I thought in Florida it you should be a better climate better tomatoes better cucumbers not much better than New York City beautiful land so that, that's why they chose Pashat Bikurim that it should be both Sipu Yetzirah Mitzrayim and the implicit Shevach the implicit praise that's why it's Vidui Bikurim that's why it's Pashat Bikurim for Kriyat but the Rub said in the Haggadah you need more Shevach is implicit in the text. When you have mikra bikurim, you don't have to do anything but read the text, tell the story. When you're ole regel, you just have to say the truth. And in that truth is the ha is the shevach is implicit in the text this is what Mikra is all about. It's similar to the Gemara in Megillah. Megillah, Yudalit, Amr Aleph. The Gemara asks, why don't we say Halel Papuram? Why don't we say Halel? It's a good question. Say Halel on Hanukkah. What's wrong? It's not Your Jomatzmut, be a big mach like it. Uh, Rabbi Meisman's article is added has added uh, uh, or fumes to the fire or fuel to the fire. But this is Purim. Why don't we say Halal and Purim? So one of the answers the Gemara gives, Kriata Zuhilula, that reading the Megillah is Halal. You only have to tell the story. And by telling the story, the thanksgiving is implicit in the narration itself. You're reading the Megillah. Miracles happen. Haman, la-arag, la-shmeid, la la a king who didn't care. He was busy with Monica. He gave his ring to Haman. Do what you want. Do what you want. You read the story. The thanksgiving is implicit in the text. Kriya <laughs> ta on that answer. You know, there are two, there's another answer, which I'm not going into, obviously. The other answer is a very basic answer to Merkha's Harab's thinking uh, the difference between Chutzlaus and Teresh but on that level of that answer, that Kriyaton Zuhilullah, that's exactly Mikra You're very reading it. Er Savant Chalavodavash. What greater of praise can there be? It's implicit. You're reading, you're telling the narrative alone. Tells the story and gives the praise. But Le'el Haseda, that's not enough. It's not enough to read the praise cannot be implicit, we have to break into shira, into song. Everything we speak about that night, we become so God-intoxicated, we are so thankful, we are so joyful, it's not enough just to tell the story, but the No Malafanab shira chadasha, hallelujah, it has to lead to a spontaneous expression of faith, Praise and love of God. But Lel the Jew not only is Makya Taifa, but he is so overwhelmed by what has happened by his love of Hashem that he must break forth into Shir ha-shirim. He is God intoxicated. And Enochinami, Lel haseda some good Jews have a minig after the Haggadah. Can anyone tell me what they read? Shir hashirim. exactly. Ani Dodi v'dodili. Shabbat Cholamoy Pesach, even if you don't read it, Le'el read Haseda, what Megillah do we read? Shirah Shirim, And Shirah Shirim became the motto, the slogan of Pesach. Ani Vidodili. Pesach begins the great love affair between God and the Jewish people. Yet Siat Mitzrayim, going out, going into the desert, Getting the Torah the great love affair begins and the Jew must break into Shirah it's not enough for it to be implicit it has to be externalized it has to be verbalized it has to become tangible and the rub said this answers and this of course is so basic to the rubs thinking we have that ancient philosophic question the rub said how can a bus of Adam praise the Kaddish Baruch Who are we? What are we here today? Gone tomorrow? Our whole life, I was just listening to a tape of the Rev this morning. He was speaking before Slichat in Boston. And I tell you, you listen, you know, you cry. He was speaking why it's so important that have stitches in a Sefer Torah. And if you don't have Tfarim in a Sefer Torah, the Torah is Psulah. And he said over from the name of Reb Chaim that if you, even, that if you could write the Torah on one parchment, one tremendous parchment, you would not be outside. There must be stitches. Why? Why were Chazal? Why is the Rambam? Why is the? Why are we so mocked that there have to be stitches in the Torah? The Torah is written from so many different clothings that are stitched together. And the Reb spoke in terms of the stitches representing the human being. He's torn asunder. On one hand, he's a lowly creation of God, no different than any brute, than any animal. And and on the other hand, he's filled with such greatness with the soul. On one hand, he's pulled down with earthly problems, illness and, and sickness and frailty and mourning and death. And on the other hand, he soars to such heights and such great spirituality and that the Tfarim are a symbolism of the human being taking these two contradictory presences within his body, two contradictory trends, and uniting them together to form the great human being in the service of God. I mean, beautiful, beautiful dasha. That he was saying this right before Slitches in Boston, nineteen sixty-eight, and 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 of course the question is, how can this human being, who's who's a brute and an animal, who gives him the right to speak to Akdamish Baruchu? And, and the Reb said so beautifully this is what Leil Hasidah teaches us the thanksgiving in a man is so overwhelming he must express it in Shirah he can't control his emotions he can't put down his emotions he cannot be silent we have to sing we have to break forth in shirah, even though we know that from a philosophical vantage point it appears to be foolish. Who are you? What are you? God needs your praise, little human being. Bus of Adam? But a human being can't help himself. Lel Haseda paves the way where well, leaving Egypt, this great romance begins. And Lel Haseda, a Jew doesn't ask philosophical questions. And when he reaches the fourth coast, he breaks all barriers and he rushes forth with the great Hallel, Hallel Hagodol Pilam Kuflam Edvav, Kitov, Kiliolom Chastau. And this too is a great difference between vidui Bikurim to Leil Vidu Bikurim, and when you begin Leil haseda you choose the text because the shebech v'hodaya is implicit in, in the text. But le'el Haseda, the implicit praise is not enough. There must be shira. There must be a verbal expression. Hodu l'ashem kitov, Ah, I'll only start the next point. I'm, I'm, I have to watch the clock very carefully because I have to be upstairs by 11.30 today. We're having a... Um, a demonstration of the new uh, Xerox machine that's coming in. The offices. I remember when the old machine came in. It was. that must have been the early 80s. We thought it was the end of the world in technology. And today, uh, they say at 10 o'clock it's now the new machine will be delivered, and at 11:30 the demonstration. I have other reasons too. I gave the secretary a letter, a letter to type for for me for for for. Uh, for um, ting I, I have I, I can show you the, the have, have you seen the, what the book looks like the uh, pages I, ha- I have uh, pages in front of me come to it in a minute okay now the, I'm not going to reach Klaus Narenda rub so you're gonna have to hang for next week's sheer. please tell Reb David Miller I apologize but I just didn't reach it today I'll reach it next week uh, I, I put up these signs I'll tell you I'm looking for students I, I go from from the front I go from 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 being a king to being a pauper within one day. I teach in the morning in Midrashat Maria yesterday. It's the first time in my life it ever happened that there were too many people in the classroom. They had to bring in extra chairs. Uh, the big classroom. Extra chairs I had to come in. I come to teach in the Wayu Kolo with a Sheer and Rabbiusko Chon and Trey Rube Sveik Sveiker. Ugh. I have it so clear. I can take the most difficult concept of anaguna. I made it so clear. And I had to look with a flashlight. The students. Mama's a flashlight. Floyd put up a second sign this week. I, I imagine it wasn't done on purpose. If it was done on purpose, I wouldn't put it up again. But I imagine it just fell off and some BMT boys stepped on it. So I didn't get any of you excited. But Reb David Miller came to me. What about class? Though what happened with Clinton? what I'm going to. I said Re- Reb, I never reveal in advance what I'm going to speak about. And you see, I can't read I don't know what's going to happen. I'll reach it next week. But I told David, the problem is you guys don't know the clouds so that what I'm going to talk about, you'll only verbalize, but you won't be able to appreciate the depth of what happened in 1977. Now, there's another aspect to the Haggadah. And that aspect is crucially important. The Haggadah is not a one-time experience. It's ongoing. At the start of the Seidu, he's saying, At the end of Sipu it's Mitzrayim, right before the Hallel. What do we say? B'chol d'avadah chayavadam lirot et atzmo k'iluhu yatsa meitzrayim. Shenema, sh'mot yudgimu, pasuk cheth, v'yigad atol avindcha ba yom ahu leymah. Ba'avuazah asor ha-shem li, b'tzayti b'mitzrayim. Lo et avateinu b'lvad ga'al ha-kadosh baruchu, elah af otanu ga'al imoahem. Now well, what's happening here? What's happening here is the relevancy. That a Jew has to know that Yetzirah Mitzrayim is ongoing. It's in every generation. The Jewish community constantly relives the tragedy of suffering, of oppression, of anti-Semitism. And behold, Dovedar God redeems us. And when we speak about see, it's Mitzrayim. It's not something very distant historical experience. Again, you know, the Rebbe always used these examples. Imagine in America, the average kid, you talk about the American Revolution. What does it mean to him today? You talk about the Civil War. All right, it's, it's ancient. I still remember growing up, there was an old deserted public school in a few blocks from my house. And I remember one time we snuck in, we must have been kids of about 10 years old. We saw on the wall maps of America from the civil war, showing the confederation and and, and the union and, and, and what was colored blue and colored gray. And I couldn't believe it. We were kids, we're talking now the early 50s or the late 40s perhaps. Suddenly, what happened in the 1860s was tangible. But today, already in America, you talk about American history. I don't know Canada. I can't uh, tell Naftali. But they have Canadian history and Canada and the king and the queen. And it's ancient history. Cement garnish. It doesn't mean anything. But for us, our historical experience is ongoing. It happened a minute ago it's repeating itself and this is what we mean and let me go one step further and the Rav said this already is the motive of Amalek this is the motive of Amalek now, what did the Rav mean? And he explained himself. Gentlemen, this was a famous Kiddush from the Rav, the name of Rav Moshe, who heard it from Rav Chaim. Malik is not a physical concept. It doesn't refer to a unique people. A malek refers to any nation that wants to obliviate the Jews. And if this is the case throughout our history there's been a Malik and the rub spoke in modern times don't have to tell you Hitler, Germany what about communism what about Lenin and Stalin and Khrushchev and Brezhnev to approve Judaism. This is a Malik. It's not just a historical concept. It repeats itself. It's lower lane, one going. Behold, Davida. What about the Arabs? What about the Arabs? If they could conquer Israel and get rid of the Jews, it's a vision, it's, it, it's a motivating force. And the Reb said, whoever is motivated by this passion, they have a din of Amalek. And this is the way the Reb learned, that this is not just historical experience, this is not just reliving it, this is not just being redeemed by Kaddish Baruch Hu, but this is the motive of Amalek. Now, you will find everything I just said, the Rev has a big footnote in Koldo Dido fake. You can find it in the original, you can find it in the English translation. I'll tell you something very fascinating now. Stark footnote. Many years ago I raised the money to translate the Koldo Dido into Russian. It was translated into Russian. There was a problem with the first translation. You have to understand Balay are uh, by nature, have to become Haredim. It's very hard for a Baal Tshuva to go to a middle, to seek what they think is a middle road. The truth of the matter is, if I can only use myself as an example, if you know I'm the most extreme person alive. Those of you who know me, I'm but I have certain, I live a certain way. But the, uh, my the commitment to Torah, and Yirat Shemayim, and Eretz Yisrael, Baruch Hashem, I don't have to apologize to anyone in the world. But a Baal Tshuva can't understand that. So Balei have to latch on to outer symbols. It's going to take a generation or two until they can get a deeper understanding. Particularly a Russian Balei Why? Because in Russia, those of you who know or visited or saw communist Russia, people walked around with their medals, people walked around with their symbols. The whole government was symbol orientated, medal orientated, medallions, awards. No one had money, but if you if you did if you did something great in the workplace, you were rewarded with the Order of Lenin. And Sunday, when everyone paraded in this Sunday finest and went to the theater and went to the Bolshoi, everyone had their medals, symbols. So. These people, when they come, they want to become good Torah Jews. I understand them a million percent. They're going to walk around already with it, sits it out. They're going to walk around already in black. A black cat is natural. It, it, it's only a continuation of like the Chavitz Chaim when he describes the medals. If someone gave you a medal, remember the Chavitz Chaim with it, sits it out? Believe me, if someone gave me a medal, I've gotten medals in my life. I, what am I going to... You understand? I have a different concept. You understand what I'm saying? It's not But my concept is different. I'm going to show my medals to someone. I'm going to go around boasting. I got the Burnout Rebel Award and the first one in Israel. It's a different concept. With this translation, the original translation, the person who translated Nachad, wonderful Jew, wonderful person, but couldn't put in religious Zionism, he played with the translation. It was caught. It was retranslated. So then they saw with mean business that I'm not just having it translated but I'm having it checked to be sure that there's no altering of the Rav's concepts of called fake uh, not to substitute Torah for religious Zionism. Religious Zionism, religious Zionism. And the rub was a religious Zionist and this is a religious Zionist message and it should appear in Russian. So then they came to me with one request. And this request I, I granted. Can anyone guess what the request was? Rabbi Rakef, they said, we can translate everything the Rav wrote word by word. But if we translate that footnote on our Behold the with reference to impresses of the Jews, Shalaylam, the KGB can catch it and put away the people that are holding it for anti-Soviet literature, they'll be thrown into the gulag for 15 years. I said, if that's the case, I give you permission, leave out that footnote. However, knowing semi-Haredi mentality, I still had the translation checked when it was redone. And Baruch Hashem, the second translation is totally faithful, totally honest, but that footnote is missing, and I had to agree for reasons of fikuach nefesh. Now, gentlemen, I'm going to leave off exactly. I have to tell you right away in advance that when I begin next week at 9 o'clock, the rub reaches a height of insight here that you have to shake when you hear it and you have to stand and cover to the rub's memory. Right at this point, but I have to leave it for next week. It's a vort that I've repeated a million times over and anyone who hears it shivers and shakes. But this was the rub it's a tremendous audience it's a semi-popular lecture and nevertheless there's so much lamb, there's so much to elaborate so much of the rub coming through the whole question of transmission the questions the God seeker the whole seder make that kid ask. the whole concept of kiddush which we had lundis, of course, uh, which I refer to the Maldim B'halakha, because what the Rav said, he said in, uh, in five minutes, I mean, whatever it was, ten minutes, uh, but the lundis you can see in the Maldim B'halakha, but what the Rav said is right on, but the whole Leil HaSeida, the, the physical and the spiritual blending into one. The story with Mr. Jacob Schiff is very fascinating, and I leave you with that addendum, because in my book I allude to it, but I don't spell it out covered of my Rebbe, he told the story, he told the story. It's an anecdote. Could be it's totally true, could be not. I have a feeling that whoever told him the story mixed up the name. It cannot be Mr. Jacob Schiff. Maybe with some other big leader like Warburg, they were really reformed Jews. Jacob Schiff was a koi. You know what a koi is? How do you pronounce it in, in Hebrew? Brewery? A koi, koi a behamer a chaya. And what's the intermediate? No, the Gemara is Akui, Akui. That's the way Arabian pronounced it. Do, do, you don't know in Hebrew. The, how do you pronounce it? No, Kui or Koi. You're not answering me. There's and it's open Gemara or Chaya That was Mr. Jacob Schiff. He was reformed, He was Orthodox. He was Conservative. All at the same time. So I don't believe he could have reacted that way. But that's the way the ref told the story. I have the footnote that alludes to it. Then we spoke about breaking forth into Shirah with the Shirah Hashirim where it's different. The normal of Shirah Hadashah You can elaborate on infinitum. And then we spoke about the whole concept of Avadim Hayinu Bechol ongoing the motive of a Amalek and we left off exactly at this point. Let me switch tapes and we'll roll.